Good morning and welcome to worship at Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church. Uh, my name is Matthew. I'm the senior pastor here. On behalf of all of us, so glad that you could be with us today, whether you are in the pews in person or online at the same time or after the fact. However you have joined us today, glad that you could be with us. Uh, it seems that spring has arrived, and so have you. And so as we get started this morning, uh, there are a couple announcement, announcements that I want to highlight for you in this Easter season the first of which is that um, we uh, have some good news to share with you. A while back, things sounded a little bit tentative. Maybe you heard that because we wanted to do Vacation Bible School, but we weren't sure if we were going to be able to pull it off. And it was tenuous. I don't mind telling you that. But all of you pulled through. And the Northbridge, other churches in the association pulled through, and we are, in fact, going to have Vacation Bible School uh, again this summer. So July 18th through the 22nd, we're really excited about that. This is something we host in collaboration with the other churches in town and that we do for the good of our community. So please be praying with us as we're getting ready for that. And thanks to those of you who have signed up to be part of it. And thanks most especially to Kate, our fearless leader in those efforts. Uh, we're excited. So that's good. The other thing that I want to highlight for you, it's coming up um, a little bit later on. But to get it on the calendar is that we're going to be trying some new fellowship events this summer. Uh, if, if you don't know, our church founded many years ago a recreation center called Fairwoods, and it's a lovely little well-hidden kept secret. Um, but what we want to do is we're going to try to find ways to share that with other people. And so we're trying something we're calling Fairwoods with Friends this summer, and so Fairlawn and Pleasant Street are going to go to Fairwoods on a couple of Saturdays, and we're going to invite uh, one of the other churches in the Northbridge Association of Churches come and hang out with us and have a potluck. Sound good? Fair with friends, Fairlawn, Pleasant Street, a lot of fair. Should be good, right? June 25, July 30th. It's in the bulletin. We'll be letting you know in the future, but those of you with calendars, if you want to put that, lock that in now, that way you know it's coming. So Fairwoods with friends. It's, it's going to be fair. Uh, or so, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I had something there, but I can't read my writing. So anyway, uh, lastly, uh, today we want to welcome some guests with us from the Ahadi Orphanage in Kenya. And so uh, if you're not familiar with their, their work, they have a booth that you walked by just on the way in. And so if you would like to learn more, when you exit through the same way that you came in, you could turn left right, and learn a little bit about what's going on with uh, the Ahadi ministry, and we welcome, glad to have you guys with us, uh, reminding us of that, that partnership and the work that you're doing there, uh, and we'll be praying for you this morning, so thanks for being with us today. Um, and it's Easter season, right? So uh, that's really good timing because spring is here, finally, and uh, for us as Christian people, we don't take anything for granted. And so even something like beautiful weather can be a reminder to us of the kind of light and new life that Jesus offers us in this Easter season. So friends, would you rise in body or in spirit? Let's worship together. Friends, the Lord be with you. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has claimed us as his own. He has brought us out of darkness. He has made us light to the world. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. 
Let's sing together.
Almighty God, we confess to you that it's hard to be resurrection people in the country of death. You've called us to be the church, to love one another for the sake of the lonely and confused world you love. We fall short in loving our neighbors. We have failed to rely on your love for us. Lord, you see our sins more clearly than we do. You see our angry acts and our unfair thoughts towards our brothers and sisters. Have mercy, Lord. Take this moment of silence, of confessional. Lord, bring new life where we are worn and tired. Forgiveness where we feel hurt and where we have been wounded. In the joy and freedom of your Holy Spirit, we are prisoners to ourselves. Lord, forgive us and teach us to love one another with the love you give us. 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Brothers and sisters, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that free from sins we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus, heal my wounds, those I've caused, and those caused by others. What wondrous love is this. Sisters and brothers, Jesus appeared to his disciples, locked up in fear, and showed them his wounds. The Lord said to them, Peace be with you, and he breathed the Holy Spirit on them, sending them into the world. Please rise as we continue with worship. Stronger 
Friends, the peace of Christ is with you. Take a moment to greet those around you. Pass the peace. Can we have all the kids, street kids, come forward? People of God, what is our prayer? Lord, continue to show us your wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Nice job. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Good morning again, friends. As we, uh, as we continue our, our worship, we take time now to lift up um, the things that we see in the world around us, both joys and sorrows, and, and bring them to God. We bring the things that matter to us, and we also come with us bringing the things that we have seen and heard in the communities and in the world around us. Uh, as we get started this morning, there's a couple of inputs that shape this prayer. I wanted you to know what gives it structure. One is the, the Lord's Prayer, uh, which was rolling around in my head this week, uh, but also the Heidelberg Catechism, which is a document of our church tradition which explains a little bit what it means when we pray lines from the Lord's Prayer. And so I'll, I'll be using those things to shape the prayer I offer on our behalf this morning. Um, friends, let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you as grateful children in the presence of a loving Father. Praise you, Father, for you were pleased to rescue us from sin even while we were chained to it. Our sins, they were great, but your mercy is more. Praise to you, Son, for your death, for through it we are made alive and given the right to be called children of God. Praise you, Holy Spirit. For you are the power of God at work within us, testifying in the depths of our being that we really are forgiven. And so we come together this morning, enlivened once again by your Easter good news and your promises to bless us, that this world might be blessed through us. We come reminded once more that we really can trust you. And so as an act of trust, we lift up to you our joys and sorrows trusting that you hold them in your hands and that there are, in fact, no better hands in which to place them. So hear our prayers, Lord, for you are our Father in heaven, and hallowed be your name. With your name on our lips, we pray that we might learn to better honor your name and how we live. Help us to really know you, to bless, to worship, and praise you for all your works and for what shines forth from them, your almighty power, your wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. And help us to direct our living, what we think and say and do, toward that end, that your name will be honored and praised. Be with our students and our young children and our infants and toddlers as they are learning to call you Father. 
and to understand what Jesus, their big brother, did for them to make it possible for us to call you Father. Continue to imprint your name onto all of us through baptism and reminders of baptism, through nursery and echo and kids street and youth group and gems and cadets and catechism. We pray for our cadets, many of whom who are camping today. We lift up their leaders who probably haven't slept a lot. We pray also for our students who are starting a profession of faith process today. And we remember the Ahadi Boys Orphanage in Kenya and the work that our partners are doing to help them to know the name of God. Lord, knowing your name, we pray that your kingdom would come. As we look at this world where wars rage and where Ukrainians celebrate Orthodox Easter while there are attacks on hospitals and apartment buildings, as we look at this world where residents of Shanghai suffer under debilitating lockdown, we remember people like the family of Patrick Layoya, shot by an officer in Grand Rapids. We remember also Officer Shore and his family. We grieve these and many other places in our world where creation groans under the governance of our kingdoms. And with Christians across the world, we pray and we long for your kingdom to come. Lord, we pray for those who do the work of law and justice in this world. We pray for lawyers and judges, for clerks and legal aides. We pray that you would change the hearts of all those who work in justice so that trusting in you, they might enact justice that looks a little bit more like your mercy and justice expressed in Jesus. In particular, we pray for our town leaders here in Northbridge as they get ready for an annual meeting on Tuesday. Thank you for our selectmen, for moderators, for clerks, for supervisors, and for all those who work to help our town run well. And because of our obedience to you proclaims to the world that doesn't know you yet, we ask that you would rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you. Lord, we pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask that you'd help us and all people to turn from a life of satisfying whatever desire comes to mind in the moment and instead to be people who seek and obey your will without any backtalk. For your will and your desires for this world alone are good. Help us to carry out the work that you've called us to as willing and as faithfully as the angels in heaven. Lord, we pray not only for these great things like a kingdom, but also for daily things like bread. And so we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, many of us will go home from church this afternoon to full refrigerators or ovens or crockpots. We thank you that we have food and places to keep it and a roof over the tables where we eat it. Help us not to assume these things. Instead, unravel our entitlements and open our eyes to see that you are the only source of everything good we have. Help us to give up our trust in ourselves or other creatures and find that you alone are trustworthy. And help the right family who have daily bread and daily shelter on their mind this week after the house fire on Friday. We ask that you would help them through the restoration process and that you would be their shelter and comfort in their sorrow for what they've lost. And be our help too. 
Some of us are healing from sickness. Some of us are getting ready for surgery. Some of us limp along with things that never quite get better. We pray for Deb, for Audrey, for Dwayne, for Rick and Leanne, for Donna. We name the others dear and close to our hearts to you now as well. Looking around, we see also ways that you have been our help, O oh God. And in particularly, we, we come to you with praise along with Carol Lewis for the good news that Healing Hearts Hospitality House has found new life after all. Thank you for this couple who is willing to take it over and to breathe new life into it and to keep it going. We give you praise along with Carol for this uh, sign of your providence in her life and in the work of this ministry. Seeing your goodness to us, we ask again, O oh God, that you'd forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Reminded of our sin and the salvation that we find in Jesus, we remember that because of his blood, you will not hold against us any of the sins that we do or the evil that still clings to us. Forgive us, Lord, just as we are fully determined in that grace to forgive our neighbors. For, Lord, we live in an old place, and sometimes in old places, there are old wounds that never quite heal. And so gently, we come to you naming family feuds and rusty grievances, misunderstandings so long carried, it seems they have been carved from stone. And in this place, in these places where we are locked up and chained and bound by the things we cannot say or will not, we ask that you would throw open the door and flood our families and marriages and town relationships with new light, like the opening of a tomb. Call us by name and lead us out. We trust that you are the one who can lead us from death to life, and so we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, we remember this morning that our own foolishness is not the only source of suffering in the world, but that we have an enemy who prowls and whispers, who deceives and devours. By ourselves, we are too weak to hold our own against Satan. Our enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, they conspire to attack us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would uphold us and make us strong through your Holy Spirit, so that we may not go down to defeat in this spiritual struggle, but may resist our enemies until we finally receive victory when your kingdom comes in glory. For yours, O oh God, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And so we pray all of this through the name of our King, your Son, and our older brother, Jesus. Amen. Today's scripture reading comes from John 20, 11 through 18. Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? 
They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she asked him, sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. As we continue to look at the Gospel of John together in resurrection stories, would you pray with me? Lord, we do not always find it easy to recognize your coming to us. And so we ask that by your Spirit you would come, and not just come, but reveal yourself to us as well. Meet us now in the breaking of our hearts, in the breaking of our routines, like in the breaking of bread. Set our hearts on fire with love for you and send us rejoicing for your name's sake. Amen. Growing up, there wasn't anything that Marianne dreaded more than the annual school hearing test. She was born deaf in one ear, and she tried to keep that ailment to herself as much as she could because the other ailments were harder to hide. In her memoir, The Whisper Test, Marianne Bird talks about what it was like to be born deaf and with a cleft palate, about what it was like to have a crooked nose and lopsided feet. These were the things that the other students in her school would not let her forget. What happened to your lip, they'd ask. How come you walk like a duck, they'd say. The world that Marianne describes, the one that she walked through as a child, was very much dark with grief and pain. But bad as all of that was, nothing compared to the looming of the hearing test. Because each year the teacher would call the children up to her desk, call them by name, one by one. And the child would first cover one ear and then the other, and the teacher would whisper something to the child like, the sky is blue, or you have new shoes. This was the whisper test. If the teacher's phrase was heard and repeated, the child passed the test. And every year, Marianne would avoid further humiliation by secretly cupping her hand over her one good ear, and every year Marianne dreaded the day when her teacher would call her name. That is, until the year that Miss Leonard called her to her desk for the whisper test. Miss Leonard was one of the most beloved teachers in the whole school. Everybody wanted to be in Miss Leonard's class, and everybody wanted Miss Leonard to notice them 
even Marianne. Miss Leonard called her name for the whisper test. Marianne! Marianne cupped her hand over her good ear. Miss Leonard leaned forward and she whispered, Looking back on it, Marianne said that it was as though God himself put those seven words in Miss Leonard's mouth. That sentence literally changed her life. Because right in the middle of her personal darkness, Marianne heard the voice of love of someone that she loved call her by name and it changed her. Except, if you think about it, actually nothing changed. When Miss Leonard said those words, nothing was really different for Marianne. She still had all the same suffering in life. And yet someone she loved said, I wish you were my little girl. And suddenly everything was different. It reminds me of another Mary who, stumbling through grief and pain, heard the voice of love call her by name. And, and though nothing was different in that moment, suddenly everything in the world was different. Mary Magdalene is, is back at the tomb, almost in the same place where we left her two weeks ago on Easter Sunday. You see, on her first trip, she came in the dark, and she noticed that the tomb was open, and she ran off to find Peter and John. Well, Peter and John, they took off running, leaving her behind like older siblings who forget the short legs of a younger one. Somehow, then, by the time Mary gets back to the tomb, Peter and John have already left, and, and she's alone in the garden for the second time. Like a lost child, she just stands there and she weeps. She peers into the tomb. There's two angels in there, one at the head and the other at the foot of the stone bench where Jesus' body should be. His body's not there. The linens are folded. She doesn't seem to notice. They ask her, Why are you crying? Why is she crying? Look at what she's been through. When the sun is coming up, but the world's darker than ever. The man who changed her life and brought her so much joy, her Lord, is dead. Right? Her beloved teacher, and he really was her teacher because she really was his disciple, is gone. Well, not, no, not just gone, executed not just executed, brutalized. How can she ever unsee the thorns? How could she ever forget the soldiers playing a callous game for his clothes while he's gasping for air beneath them? They don't even wait for Jesus to die to gamble away the only thing that he has left. Could you ever unhear the sounds made by someone you love when they put nails through his hands? Of course she weeps. She has seen and seen and seen terrible things. And now she sees nothing. Mary looks in a tomb, but she cannot see the angels. The terror of Good Friday is way more real than the angels sitting in front of her. She came to the garden for some peace, but she thinks it's a crime scene. Mary is standing in the evidence, 
that was enough to convince John. But she can't see it. The tomb is open, but it's not good news. There's two angels there, but it means nothing to her. How can that be? Well, it's not because she is a woman. And it's not because her faith is somehow weak. In fact, the way that John tells the story, she's maybe the most faithful disciple. She was one of the last few to stay and watch Jesus' death, and she does not look away. And on Easter Sunday, she's the first one to come back to the tomb. So then what is it? Mary has seen so much death that an empty tomb just won't do. Sometimes death looks so real we cannot see anything else. The angels don't understand their sorrow, her sorrow. But we do. Some of us know what it is like to weep like that. We have walked dark paths of diagnosis only to arrive at a word from the doctor as hard as granite. I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. We have seen kids suffer at the hands of peers who cannot understand difference and so punish them for it. We have seen the news unfold tragedy before our eyes in faraway places and close to home. Leaves every day, they fall on the ground and storefront windows display going out of business signs. Homes, even beautiful old ones, burn. Some of us have seen our hopes dashed so many times, it's turned the hoping part to stone. And when you have seen and seen and seen sorrow and disappointment, and when it never quite works out, what's another empty tomb besides just another disappointment? But here's where it gets tricky, right? Because as real as death is, we don't really talk about it. Death scares us. It's been said that Victorian English society, in Victorian English society, sex was the great taboo and no one ever talked about it. We probably don't have that problem. But in our culture, we really do have trouble with death. And yet, this, this is where the story of Jesus always brings us. Every time, no matter which gospel you start with, no matter where you pick it up, it always comes here. And we stand inevitably with Mary while she weeps. We're not sure what to do with our hands, and we know there's nothing to say or do except be there in this place with, where death has taken everything from her and she can neither understand it nor stop it. And the gospel brings us here because we all want to know if the resurrection of Jesus is true and if it's real. And because we all want to know if it's true and if it's real, when we struggle to understand it, the gospel brings us here. It brings us closer to death. And this is difficult. 
For the world around us, the culture that we inhabit, would have us ignore death or make light of it. The world around us, the technology we use, would have us outrun it or outlive it. And weirdly enough, Christianity wants us to enter it, weeping and all. Eugene Peterson and his wife Jan were once visiting a Benedictine monastery in New Mexico. And as they walked uh, on their stay from the chapel where, to where they would have lunch, they passed through a cemetery and they passed an open grave. And so on their way, Jan asked the brother who was leading them, did one of the brothers just die? No, he said. That is for the next one. Three times a day, the brothers at that monastery walk from their prayers to their meals past an open grave. What were they doing? They were practicing the ancient Christian art and discipline of acknowledging our powerlessness. They were learning to stand still and just weep which is exactly the place where John has brought us this morning. And we are there with Mary, distraught, exhausted, afflicted by grief and confusion, Mary. Mary's shroud of darkness in this moment is so thick that she is unfazed by two angels seated like cherubim on the ark. When Mary senses someone behind her, she turns, but when she looks, she only sees a stranger. The one that she grieves is right in front of her, but she thinks, Gardner. She has seen and seen and seen death, and now she can't even see the one she was missing standing right in front of her. Sir, if you have taken him, tell me. I'm not angry. Just please tell me where he is. I'll carry him myself. Grief and sorrow have blinded her that much, and it seems that she could look all over the world and never see the one she is looking for until, well, until Jesus calls her by name, which is exactly what he does. He says just one word, the shortest sermon in the history of the world, Mary. And there is only one person who ever said her name like that. And in a word, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, anguish turns to astonishment. Despair is swallowed up in delight, and she gasps for air herself. And to this woman, broken by the cruelty of the world, Jesus pierces the darkness by calling her name. That's all it takes, and it's the only thing that will do it. Mary. And it's like nothing about the world has changed, and yet everything about the world has changed. John says that she turns seeing Jesus. Yeah, but I wonder if it's not really the world turning under her. Mary, her name on his lips, that's all it takes. And her response is as natural as their conversation before any of this happened. Rabboni. Like a shepherd who knows his sheep by name and calls them, Mary calls Mary back to life like the man who spoke into the tomb with Lazarus' body and called him forth. He speaks and she comes back to life. And she moves from paralyzing sobs to this embrace that's so beautiful we can barely imagine it. 
And then Jesus commissions, right? He blesses and sends her to the brothers. Tell them, Jesus says, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And for the first time in John, Jesus, who is always calling God his father, now calls him our father too, which of course is the fruit of the death that Jesus has endured on our behalf. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus does not make our lives magically tidy. It does not guarantee that we will never face sorrow, and it does not ensure that the worst won't happen. But what it does do is give us the conviction born of God, forged by his death, and grown of the Holy Spirit from death itself, that no matter what suffering and cruelty death throws our way, death is a door to God, and he is our Father, and that's never going to change. Perhaps the most remarkable thing of all here is that Mary, who fell into Jesus with this desperate embrace, she doesn't go off sprinting. Did you notice that? She simply walks home. She just walks home, carrying within her the most wonderful news for people who live in a world of death. I have seen the Lord, which is strange, because things are not so different. I mean, Rome still rules the world, and there's plenty of questions, and injustice is rampant, and death is well-established, and yet she walks like a woman with assurance, like she carries the news that everything has changed, which is, of course, exactly what happens at Easter. Those who know suffering in the depths of human misery, those who know how to weep in the face of what is final, they meet Jesus. And now we too walk through the world certain that though nothing has actually changed, really everything has changed. In fact, it's one of the things that the Heidelberg Catechism tells us about the resurrection. In question and answer 45, it says, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? And the answer, by his power, we too are already raised to a new life. Pat Patricia was a woman who already knew new life. Her name was Patricia, but everybody called her Pat. When I met Pat, cancer had been thoroughly at work in her life and was nearly finished. Mostly, she had to lay in her bed and keep her eyes closed. Her family showed the look of those preparing to say goodbye. And as I sat with them around the breakfast table, I learned that Pat's life had more than its fair share of grief. When she was young, terrible things happened to her, the details of which were not as important as the fact that Pat had known many reasons to weep. And yet, somewhere along the way, Early in those years, she heard the voice of Jesus call her by name. And her nominal religious upbringing was transformed into this fiery, simple Christian faith. When, when Jesus said, Patricia, you are my little girl. And she said, my Lord. 
But it didn't make her life any easier. You see, as she aged, she declined in health and she became homebound and her gaze on the world was only as big as her bay windows. And so sitting there and hearing about Pat's life, it seemed to me that the world never really changed much after the voice of Jesus called her. But by all accounts, you can look around her house and see that everything in her world had changed. Well, how could you tell? Well, the signs were everywhere, actually. In the hallways and in the bedrooms of the house, there were boxes and piles of brand new school supplies. You see, she had spent her vocational life as a teacher, and she was known for sending children home with school supplies that they didn't arrive with that day. She bought them in bulk. And after her retirement, she seems to have never lost the habit. And in the den, you could see that there were these boxes of of giving statements and these letters of gratitude from charities and churches all over the place. Her family was actually just discovering how much money she had given away. And on her refrigerator was a list. I found this list tacked to her stainless steel door in the home she couldn't leave with the diagnosis that she couldn't fight. She wrote it near the end. I want to read it to you. This is what it says. Write the vision and make it plain. That's a quote from Habakkuk 2. Put God first, number one. Two, pray without ceasing. Three, take off 50 pounds. Goal, 150 pounds. Sorry, Pat. Four, exercise. Five, find an assembly of God church to attend. Six, find favor in all places and situations. Medicare problems solved immediately. Seven, help someone every day. This includes prayer as well as works. Eight, include God in every aspect of my life. Nine, be happy. Smile. Ten, get a 13-inch TV for the bedroom with DVD player. (laughs) Eleven, get income tax done correctly and quickly. You know, I'm not sure that Pat ever read the Heidelberg Catechism. In fact, I'm fairly certain she probably did not. But this is exactly the kind of new life already that the Catechism is talking about. It looks like a list, a kind of announcement, really, if you think about it, that Jesus, our brother, has ascended to our Father who is in heaven. And now he is with us by his spirit, always giving us this new kind of life here and now already. It's already here in this world of powerlessness and death. And the sign that it is so, sometimes is as simple as a list. You know, Pat signed her name to this one. Pat, just like that. As though it was her declaration of how to live with joy and hope in the valley of the shadow of death. It's just the kind of certainty that comes from hearing Jesus call us by name. Pat. And as I look at it just now, I'm noticing that there's a little bit of room next to her name. Room enough maybe for someone else to sign it too. John. Frank. Gretchen. Stacy. Nicole. 
I wonder if your name might fit there. I'm certain there's room. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we do not always find it easy to recognize your coming to us. So we ask that you would come by your Spirit and reveal yourself to us in the words of Mary's story and the lives and stories that we leave and live when we leave this place. Meet us in the breaking of our hearts, in the places where our routine breaks, like you do in the breaking of bread. And set our hearts on fire with love for you and send us rejoicing for your name's sake. Amen. Having heard from God, we have a chance to respond. And we do this together in a couple of ways, both by lifting up our voices in song and also by offering up some of what God has given to us for the work of his kingdom and church and world. And so uh, we're taking our offering, basically, is what I'm saying. And the way that we have been doing this uh, post-COVID is by dropping off checks either at the church during the week or in the box uh, on the way where you, where you came in or by donating online. And I want to highlight that there is a little QR code in your uh, bulletin there that you can use if you would like to make your giving directly uh, through the internets. Uh, so having done so in those ways, let's offer a prayer to God together. Lord Jesus, thank you for out of the abundance of the riches of your glory, you have lavished uh, wealth upon us in uh, the riches of your son, Jesus Christ. And now, tangibly, we are learning to, uh, to, to act the way the family does, to give in response to having been given uh, greatly and abundantly. And so we ask, O oh God, that you would take the things, uh, our money and also our time and our talents and gifts and experiences, and take all of these things that we offer up to you and use them for the good of our church and for the sake of your world, to the glory of your name. Amen. Friends, uh, do we have any Echo students here? Are they all on, uh, I think they're all on the camp out. So normally this would be a spot where our third through fifth grade students would be blessed and sent to go and discuss church together. I think most of them are on the camping trip, so let's offer a prayer on their behalf too. Lord Jesus, we pray for our cadets and for all of our students, wherever they are this morning. We ask that you would draw near to them, uh, that, you would, that you would continue to teach them um, about your love for them and open their eyes to see and encounter your presence uh, where they are right now. Amen. Friends, let's sing together. Would you rise?
when we talk about the resurrection during Easter season, we reach uh, for words that help us to understand what this means, and sometimes we reach way back to see what our ancestors have said, and we'll do that now together by saying together the Apostles' Creed, uh, which has been passed down and handed to us to understand what the life and death and resurrection of Jesus means. Let's say it together. Friends, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and burned of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Good news together is not just that we proclaim these things, but we do so in the presence of God who has come to meet with us. And this God who has turned his face toward you goes with you no matter where this week takes you. Would you lift your eyes, open your hands, and receive it? May the God of peace, who raised to life the great shepherd of the sheep, 
Make us ready to do his will in every good thing through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Let's sing.
peace, just love and serve God. You may go in peace.